If you've been following the news, uh, I think it was maybe a, a month or two ago, you may have seen uh, that President Obama awarded the Congressional Medal of Honor posthumously to Captain Emil J. Capon for his actions leading up to his capture as a prisoner of war in North Korea. Now, the reason this story caught my eye um, was not just because it was a Medal of Honor that was being re uh, awarded, because that always catches my eye. I mean, read those stories and to uh, acknowledge these folks. Uh, but the reason that it really caught my eye, in addition to that, uh, was the fact that this captain, Captain Capon, was a chaplain. One of only a handful of uh, chaplains throughout our nation's history uh, who have ever received our nation's highest military honor awarded for personal acts of valor above and beyond the call of duty. And so one of the narratives, I went to, you know, you can go to the website. They have a, a website of the a Medal of Honor website, and you can go there, and it has everyone that was ever awarded. It has all of their stories there. It keeps track of the ones that are still alive and has the dates of their passing as they, uh, you know, as the ones passed that are recipients. And so you can go and you can read all of that. And so seeing this award being given a month, month and a half ago, I went there and I read that, and I was this last week revisiting that. And, and it's truly incredible to read. Uh, one of the narratives outlining this uh, chaplain's actions read, uh, as Chinese communist forces encircled the 3rd Battalion, 8th Cavalry, during the Battle of Unsan, Capon moved fearlessly from foxhole to foxhole under enemy direct fire in order to provide comfort and reassurance to the outnumbered soldiers. When the Chinese commandos attacked the battalion command post, Capon and other members of the headquarters withdrew 500 meters across a nearby river. But Capon returned to help the wounded, gathering approximately 30 injured men into positions of protection. It goes on to describe how Capon's battalion became entirely surrounded uh, by enemy forces and recounted how he spent the next day, November 2, 1950, repeatedly rescuing the wounded from no man's land outside the perimeter area. Ultimately, his unit was captured, but even after being taken prisoner, he continued these acts of bravery and charity throughout the ordeal at the POW camp where he eventually died on May 23, 1951. Robert Wood, who served with him, he's still living, he lives in Montana, um, he wrote a nice little piece that contributed to the article. He was with Capon most of the time during his time in Korea, and he was recounting some of these ways that he inspired, that the chaplain inspired uh, the other forces. While fighting to retake South Korea from communist forces, elements of the 8th Cavalry, he said, came under intense attack. In recalling the incident, Wood, this gentleman who's still alive, who served with them, said, uh, a unit fighting next to ours ran out of ammunition, and they sent a radio request for replenishment. Being young and stupid, I said yes to volunteering to take more ammo. The way to the other unit was along an exposed area, and the mission was considered near suicidal. Slinging bandoliers of ammunition over my shoulders, he said he picked up a box of machine gun ammo and started up the exposed hill to the other unit. On the way up, he said, I looked and noticed that someone else was alongside of me. There he was, Captain Capon, loaded down with bandoliers and hauling his own box of ammo. Father, you really shouldn't be doing this, I yelled to him. I'm going with you, he said with firmness, noting that Capon was calmly smoking a pipe. So up the hill they trudged, 
exposing themselves to deadly enemy fire. At one point, the incoming rounds were so thick that Wood recalled diving into a ditch. When I turned back around, there was Father Capon. The stem of his pipe dangling from his mouth. The rest had been shot away. They both briefly laughed before continuing their trip up the hill. After having survived the ammo mission, a short while later, Capon's jeep was destroyed by a mine. Wood stated that didn't deter the chaplain. He found an old beat-up bicycle, and he pedaled it all over the front lines, making his way along narrow trails between rice paddies, heading into the most dangerous of areas. We all saw him out front, and we all said to one another, there he goes again, heading toward the sound of the guns. We were so inspired by that, Wood recalled, that Capon was going to where the men were being killed so he could minister to them and tend their wounds. After being taken prisoner, he continued to care for the wounded, ministered to them, gave them hope in the midst of this dark place. He was routinely mocked by the guards for his Christian faith, but through it all, he kept the faith, kept calm amidst chaos, and even held an Easter sunrise service despite the antagonism of his captors. His health, due to injuries and illness, finally declined to where his death would soon be imminent. Wood recalled there was a tent in the grounds of the POW camp. They called it a hospital, but he said really it was just a place that they sent the people who were about to die, sent them there and waited for them to pass. Wood was charged with carrying his friend Capon to the place where he would breathe his last. He wrote, as I carried Father Capon to his certain death, I had tears in my eyes. He, more than anyone, deserved to survive. Even on his way to his death and in great pain and suffering, Wood recalled, Father Capon was praying as he looked at the guards saying, Bless them, O Lord, for they know not what they do. And I'm saying to myself, My God, Father, they're taking you up to the death house and you're blessing them. After Capon died, Wood said that the remaining time in, act, in captivity were endured in part with the help of memory of Dr. Capon and what he had done. This brave man living out his commitment to God, he said, and to his men, and he left behind a wonderful example to follow and to remember. Isn't that incredible to read? Incredible to hear, you know, just one of many stories that people in situations rise to the occasion that is placed before them and go far beyond what we could ever think and ever imagine. Tomorrow is a day, Memorial Day, where we pause as a, as a nation and we remember times such as these, men such as these, and we honor them and we recall them, not just them, but all of the men and women who have given their lives in defense of our country, that we can have the freedoms that we have to gather freely this morning and sing our songs and worship God. And so we pause as a nation collectively to express our recognition to these folks and to their families and to say thank you. Thank you. We will never forget. Ever. We will never forget the ones who President Lincoln, in his words that we heard just moments ago in the Gettysburg Address, said gave the last full measure of their devotion. And so when we pause 
And when we reflect upon that, when we think about uh, what these men and women have done, folks like Father Capon and countless others, what it does is when we look at that and we really take the time to reflect upon that and, and, and what they have done, and we think about their heroism, and we, we think about the acts that they have done, we are confronted with feelings inside of ourselves. There's no way to avoid it. Thinking, what is it that compelled them to do what they did? Why did they do it? We live in a country today that has a volunteer service. There is no draft at the moment. What is it that compels people to enlist in the service? What is it that compelled these men and women through the ages to not only uh, be a part of the government, but then to go above and beyond the duty that was placed before them? What cause is there that we have in our lives that ultimately is worth dying for? That's the question this really brings about. And then that forces us to think, you know, would we be willing to do the same? Could I be counted on to do what these others have done before us? You know, we hear that word hero tossed around quite a bit today. Um, I do think it's making a resurgent back into our society in a way that it should be, but we hear it quite a bit thrown around and it's used to address uh, you know, sports people or celebrities. Oh, they're my hero or this person's my hero. We even have movies. We grew up, right, with superheroes and comic books and comics. I love them. I, I wish I'd have kept all those things that I had when I was young because they might have been worth something today, right? But we grew up with it. And even the movies today that come out, I must admit, not that I watch a lot of movies, but it's just something about you know, bringing back childhood memories of that superheroes. And so oftentimes, however, in our country, we have taken the term of hero and we've applied it to sports folks or we've applied it to celebrities. And so a lot of times we'd rather talk about you know, who the next judge is going to be on American Idol than talk about people like Chaplin Capon. We'd rather uh, talk about that and, and, and you know, uh, mindless drivel things like who's going to be the judge on American Idol right? than take the time and think about, you know what, it's because of people like Chaplin Capon and all those who've given their lives not just in service who've died, but also those who've gone off and served our country, those who've been injured, those who've returned and not been the same either in mind or body, whatever, who've set that aside and done those things. We don't want to talk too much about that. We don't like to think too much about that. Those folks who are true heroes who've made the countless uh, sacrifices for us, leaving us to remember not only their deeds, but also an example to follow. Listen, celebrities are people who make the news. You can make the news for a lot of things. Celebrities are people who make the news. Heroes are people who make history. And so what are the eternal qualities of heroes? Well, you know, you come across such words like uh, self-sacrifice and courage and duty and honor. Those of you who have been in the service and served in the military, you know, man, that, that starts as soon as you hit boot camp. As soon as you hit there, you start learning what those words mean and you start learning uh, the history of the people who've gone before us. They become a part of who you are. They become a, a part of what we build our lives upon and a part of what we build our country upon. So when those times come when you have to do something like these brave men and women have done, you respond because this has become a part of your being. And then, of course, wrapped in all of that, Jesus gives us 
and John 15, our scripture for today, love, which pulls all of this together. Jesus in the upper room, remember right before he's off uh, to be taken and crucified, sharing in uh, the Last Supper with the disciples. Uh, he says, I've got a new command I'm giving you, a new mandate, Monday, Thursday. Thursday before uh, uh, the crucifixion. Monday comes from mandate, Latin mandate. We acknowledge that night, that's the night Jesus was betrayed. And the command, the new command that He gives, my command, again, as He's going on to be crucified for us, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that He laid down His life for His friends. What more can you give for somebody than your very life, for any of us. And so it brings us back around to that issue, what would we give our lives for? As you might already know if you studied the Scriptures at all or maybe heard the terms before, there's a whole lot of different words, I think five specifically, that are used for love uh, throughout the Bible. Uh, two of the most common, one is phileo, brotherly love, Philadelphia, city of brotherly love. Right? It's a brotherly love we're supposed to have with one another. But the most important is agape love. And agape love refers to that love which is sacrificial. And what's interesting to note is that you'll never find in the Bible as it's pertaining to uh, loving another, the word phileo, brotherly love, used. We're not to love each other with just a brotherly love. But you will hear the word agape used. We are commanded to love one another with a sacrificial love. And my friends, the greatest example that we ever have seen and that we are to remember the agape love for all of us is when Jesus willingly chose to lay down his life for us. And we sing the song, he could have called 10,000 angels. He knew what was going on. He was in control. At any moment, the pain got too much. At any moment, the humiliation got too much. At any moment, the embarrassment got too much. He could have just spoke the word and it would have been over, but he didn't do it. He willingly sacrificed Himself for us in a way that we can't even really fully understand. That if we receive that gift and that grace that He has made available, we can live eternally with Him. Agape love, it's a radical choice. It's a choice that we make. Now imagine for just a moment if we had that radical love, that agape love for one another here. Imagine that, you know in the church where we should have it, uh, if we had that love for one another, if it was a, you know, a, a putting the needs of others above our own. We live in a, in a very selfish society. You know that. I mean, we don't have to think about ourselves, you know, make a decision to do that because that comes naturally. We think a great deal about ourselves and what's going to benefit me and how I can, you know, how's this going to affect Can you imagine how different it would be if we said, you know what, I, I know that this is, you know, in your best interest and I want you to know that I'm going to, be here for you and I'm going to help you with this and, and I want you to know that you're not alone. We're in this together. You know? Difficult time, come along. Hey, I'm here for you. I, I want you to know the church is here for you. We're, we're family you know, uh, and we're here and I want you to know I got your back okay, if something happened. Can you imagine if we truly embraced that as a family of faith? My gosh, we could never get the doors closed on this. Never want to close the doors. We could never get them closed because there'd be so many people just flocking to come because they would see and they would say, I want what those people have. And what we have, really, is the gospel of Christ. 
I'm going to close with a, another account of bravery I came across. This just happened not too long ago. This was a little over a month ago, and it involved uh, the family of Sergeant First Class Kenneth Westbrook, um, who received uh, on the deceased soldier's behalf his silver star. That's the third highest medal that we can give in our country for gallantry and bravery. And he also, the family also received his second uh, combat infantryman badge. On September 8, 2009, Westbrook was working with American and Afghan personnel um, in Afghanistan when their uh, team was caught in an ambush. And so while taking fire from a rocket-propelled grenades, mortars, and machine gun fire, Westbrook intentionally placed himself in the line of direct enemy fire without cover and concealment in an effort to engage targets and direct his Afghan peers. So it's not even Americans. These are his Afghan peers to safety. He was severely wounded during the battle and ultimately passed from those injuries uh, on October 7, 2009, 30 days after the insurgents' attack against his unit in Afghanistan. Jonathan Landay was a reporter that was embedded with the unit, um, and he wrote this on the scene of that day. It was worst, one of the worst he'd ever seen. He said, within a few minutes, it was just an unbelievable kill zone. All the guys who were in there had been veterans of Iraq and Afghanistan. They were all seasoned soldiers. They had been, never been caught in such hellacious fire. It was coming from three sides. And so at the award uh, coming nearly three years after the fact that they had just last month, uh, Westbrook's wife and his children went down uh, to Fort Benning, Georgia, which is the infantry uh, training center there, and, and they awarded this medal to his family at a ceremony that also is occurring on the same day uh, of uh, infantry class that was graduating from basic training. So you've got a whole class of new uh, recruits and new soldiers coming in at the same time they're making this award uh, to the fallen soldier's family. During that ceremony, his wife said, I'm so very proud of him. He's my hero. And then smiling slightly through her tears, she continued, actually he'd probably grimace and say, no, I'm not a hero, I'm just doing my job. They presented this Silver Star Medal, um, as I said, at Fort Benning, and before the class of the graduating group of kids and to the family uh, of the fallen soldier, Major General H.R. McMaster made the pre uh, presentation and said this in his remarks. It's fitting that we honor the courage and sacrifice of one of our fallen warriors shortly after we gathered to celebrate the entry of new soldiers into our army. It's fitting because what those young men and Sergeant First Class Westbrook have in common is that they volunteered to answer our nation's call to duty in a time of war. It's fitting because we're part of a living, historical community in which we do our best to preserve the legacy of courage and selfless service of those like Kenneth Westbrook who have gone before us. It's fitting because we want those who knew and loved Sergeant First Class Westbrook to know that he will not be forgotten, that we will continue to honor his sacrifice, and that we will always remember the example that he has set before all of us. Friends, what kind of love would give itself up for another person? What kind of love would be willing to die for you and for me. It's certainly not mere human love, believe me. It's a love that's demonstrated on the cross 
to show us how much we mean to God. It's a love that we celebrate today, exemplified by all the soldiers who've given their lives for our freedom, and we must always remember the example that they have set before us. And one of my favorite quotes to share on Memorial Day, you've no doubt heard it before from me, and you'll no doubt, Lord willing, hear it again from me. Um, I don't know where it was originally spoken. Um, I don't know who said it originally, but it dates back to at least the First World War, and it was on a plaque that's visible uh, on, a, on a, a cemetery grounds, and it's only visible as you leave the cemetery. So as you're leaving this cemetery, this plaque is before you. And the words that you'll find there say, when you go home, tell them of us and say, for their tomorrow, we gave our today. Tomorrow, our tomorrow, is the unofficial beginning of summer. But more importantly, tomorrow is a day set aside by our nation to remember. We remember the examples of the sacrificial love, the sacrifice, uh, the commitment. But most importantly today and every day, we remember uh, the example of the great love of Jesus Christ who sacrificed His life that we might be with Him for eternity, that we might live with Him also. And we always remember, I pray, the words of the Apostle Paul as he reminded us that we were bought with a price. You have your freedom eternally and you have your freedom here in this country. It has been bought with a price. Somebody paid for what we are enjoying. And as a result of that, Paul urges us in Philippians to conduct ourselves in a manner worthy of the price which has been paid. May we continue to live out our lives in this great nation, the land of the free, because it is the home of the brave. May we live it out continually in a manner that is worthy, not only of the sacrifices of our brothers and sisters who gave their lives in the call of their country, but most importantly, that it's worthy of the sacrifice that Christ made on our behalf hanging on the cross. That this great land of ours, the United States of America, would continue to be the land of the free and the home of the brave. I'm going to show you a, a clip here as we close. Um, what was ironic to me as I came across this was that it didn't come from the dedication of some type of national battlefield, some type of national cemetery, but rather these were remarks given by a president in the first inaugural address as he's going into office in January of the year that, that he took over. These are remarks, as I said, not given uh, over a tombstone, but to a nation at large. And they just fit so powerfully with us today. I wanted to play this clip for you. Let's watch it. If we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land, we unleash the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. Freedom and the dignity of the individual have been more available and assured here than in any other place on earth. The price for this freedom at times has been high, but we have never been unwilling to pay that price. Those who say that we're in a time when there are no heroes they just don't know where to look. The sloping hills of Arlington National Cemetery 
with its row upon row of simple white markers bearing crosses or stars of David, they add up to only a tiny fraction of the price that has been paid for our freedom. Each one of those markers is a monument to the kind of hero I spoke of earlier. Their lives ended in places called Bellow Wood, the Argonne, Omaha Beach, Salerno, and halfway around the world on Guadalcanal, Tarawa, Porkchop Hill, the Chosin Reservoir, and in a hundred rice paddies and jungles of a place called Vietnam. Under one such marker lies a young man, Martin Treptow, who left his job in a small town barber shop in 1917 to go to France with the famed Rainbow Division. There on the Western Front, he was killed trying to carry a message between battalions under heavy artillery fire. We're told that on his body was found a diary. On the flyleaf, under the heading, My Pledge, he had written these words. America must win this war. Therefore, I will work, I will save, I will sacrifice, I will endure. I will fight cheerfully and do my utmost as if the issue of the whole struggle depended on me alone. We must realize that no arsenal or no weapon in the arsenals of the world is so formidable as the will and moral courage of free men and women. It is a weapon our adversaries in today's world do not have. It is a weapon that we as Americans do have. Let that be understood by those who practice terrorism and prey upon their neighbors. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. Gosh, I love that man. <laughs> we are Americans. We have been handed a wonderful, wonderful gift, not only by Christ, but by men and women who've gone before us. Let's resolve as we celebrate tomorrow, wherever you may be, whatever family time you may be having, barbecue you may be having, that's great. I think all those that have gone and paid for that freedom to do that would encourage us to live life to the fullest. That's why they did it. That's the blessing that we have here. But take time during that time, even if it's grace before the meal, to remember those who gave their last full measure of devotion, who gave their lives that we may be free. May God continue to bless us, friends, as we continue along in our faith journey. Uh, may God continue to bless the families of those who have uh, lost loved ones in service to our country, that we may be free. And may God continue to richly bless the United States of America. Long may her flag wave over the land of the free and the home of the brave. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. <laughs>